0: Welcome, everybody. I'm Lance Carpenter, in case you didn't know. <laughs> thank you for coming this morning anyway. Can we go ahead and uh, start off with a, a quick word of prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to come together as your church again. Help us, Lord, to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit here, as we just sang. Father, we pray that you would flood this room and that we would be uh, just engulfed in your your love and your your justice and your teaching. Father, help us to learn from your word today Help us to support each other. Help us to serve you fully. Above all, Lord, help us to be good worshipers, because that's what you desire of us, is to be good worshipers. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, my voice doesn't sound like normal, because I'm just kind of coming off a cold, so I apologize for that. So what that means is I'm going to have to get some help from you all. And thank God for this small space, because we can have a conversation, right? And I'm going to hold the microphone all over the place. You may not hear me, but I I talk with my hands a little bit. So we're in Malachi 2 now. And just to recap a little bit, the week before last, we talked about Malachi 1. Some of the things we heard about was that Malachi was the last prophet. He's considered one of the 12 prophets, the minor prophets. And he was the last one before the great silence of 400 years before the New Testament started. So this is the last thing people are going to hear about. We also um, remember that he was writing between, uh, between the times when Nehemiah visited Jerusalem twice. Okay, the first time Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem to help rebuild the, the walls, and then he went back uh, into Babylon, and then came back to Jerusalem a second time, and it's around that time that Malachi was writing. So a couple things to think about: What was the state of the nation of Israel? Um, at that time. First of all, Israel is a, uh, the story of Israel is a kind of a pattern for us to look at as we study the church. Okay, what happens to Israel happens to the church. It's also a pattern for what happens to us as individuals, okay, as we walk with, with Christ. So the things that Israel experienced, we, can, we will experience in our lives. So God gave us this pattern of Israel, his chosen people, to understand what his design is for us and to understand what's going to happen understand how things can go with us for people so one of the things that Israel did was they rebelled right does the church ever rebel sure do we as individuals ever rebel okay yeah we do so God gives us His pattern to learn from so hopefully we do learn it's all in his word and he's provided us his word so Israel as a nation state at this point had been in exile for disobedience Okay, they were disobedient to God, so he exiled them to Babylonia. Um, they've been intermingling with and under the subjugation of, of pagans. Okay, they've not been collected together as a church necessarily. They've been kind of dispersed out there in Babylon and, and other places. The nation of Israel is split between Judah and Israel, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So consequently, they had not been practicing necessarily the sacrificial rituals that they were used to. Okay, that, that they did back in the temple. So when the nation of Israel worshiped, we talked about worship, and by the way, awesome worship this morning. Thank you, team. When we worship, what is that? What do we mean by that? Yes, I'm looking for an answer. What what is worship? Praise? Praise. Okay. How did the Israelites worship when they were at the temple? They would bring sacrifices, right? They'd bring lambs and, and doves and all kinds of animals and sacrifice them. And the sacrifice would be a burning. They'd burn the sacrifice, and the, the smell of the smoke, the aroma would go up to God. So that's what they did to worship. Now, we don't worship here. Um, men's steak night, we used to do some, some worship. But, but, you know, we don't worship that way anymore. But that worship is the same as the worship we do, because what we're doing when we're worshiping is giving God... The honor that's due to him. Okay, giving glory to God. It's not about us. It's not about our singing ability. It's not about any of that. It's, it wasn't about the sacrifices back in the days of Israel. It wasn't about the lambs and the, and the uh, pigeons that were being sacrificed. It was about giving God the honor and glory that was due to him. And that's what, we, what we we're supposed to do when we worship. And if we're not doing that, it's just as bad as what we read about in chapter 1 of the nation bringing flawed lambs to, to sacrifice, okay? So just, you know, keep that in mind when we're worshiping. We need to enter that with a mindset to give God honor and glory that he deserves, that he is due. Okay, that's what worship is all about. Praise, like you said, Mike. Okay, so Israel had not been practicing the sacrificial wor- rituals or worshiping as he had intended. Uh, Israel has a rich spoken tradition. Okay. Remember when they had the Passover feast? One of the things that would happen in a Passover feast is the youngest member of the family would ask the oldest member of the family, "Why do we do this? Why do we why do we have this Passover feast?" And the oldest member of the family would recite the story of the Exodus and how God freed the people from Israel or from uh, from Egypt. And that story was passed on from generation to generation. So they had a rich um, oral tradition of history. But they also had the word of God. Okay? They had the Pentateuch that Moses had written. They had the word of God that they, that they read also. They had been set apart. Okay, Even though they had been dispersed into the, the pagan nations out there, they had been set apart by God as his chosen people. And they had grown complacent to the point of offering imperfect sacrifices. That's what we went over last week, is that they were offering flawed sacrifices, and that's what God was angry about. Okay? So that's the state of the nation of Israel right now. They're, they're dispersed. They're not used to worshiping. Uh, they don't understand necessarily where they've gone right or wrong. But that's what they're they're in now. And sometimes I look at the church today. We're kind of in that same place a little bit. And that's what I, you know, I said a prophet for today. What Malachi teaches us applies to us today as a church. So we need to be paying attention to that and seeing what it means. Okay, so. Chapter 2, verse 1. And I again, my voice is not very good. Would anybody like to read chapter 2, verse 1 through 9? Okay, thank you. And now the priest is
1: reading. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, the then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will review your your offering, and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall take, be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of Peter, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from the iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. And he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts, that you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of Hosts, and so I make you and so I make you despised and effaced before all the people. Inasmuch, you do not keep my
0: ways that show partiality in your Thanks, Stephanie. So, this does not sound like good news, right? This is kind of bad. So, who is this addressed to? This is addressed to the priests, right? So, who are, who are priests? We've all heard about priests. What, what's a priest? Anybody? Rabbi was a, a teacher back then. Okay. Back then, the priests were from the tribe of Levi okay they're the Levitical priests and as you go into studying this I I did not realize this but I started studying it you could do a whole year long study on just the priesthood because the priesthood changed from one family to another through the history of Israel because there was some disobedience and things like that but the priests were the ones that actually offered up the sacrifices okay so they were the the leaders of the um, the people of Israel now, the Levites were not just priests. Priests were just one piece of the Levite tribe. Um, the rest of the Levites were um, the ones that took care of the temple. Okay, they managed it. They cleaned up. They, uh, when they were in the wilderness for 40 years, wandering around with Moses, they are the ones that carried okay, the Ark of the Covenant on their backs. They are the ones that carried all the, the, uh, the skins and everything that made up the Ark of the Covenant, the, or the, uh, the temple, the tabernacle. I'll get it right. The tabernacle. Um, they carried all that stuff around. They took care of the instruments that were used for sacrifice, so the Levites were the ones who were the caretakers of the temple. Okay, when they had the permanent temple, they were the ones that guarded the temple. They had a lot of very important jobs within the within the uh, the nation of Israel. So they would serve as priests. The Levites would serve as priests and serve in the temple. Um, one thing that they did not receive, if you if you read through the Old Testament. Uh, they did not receive an inheritance. Okay, when God gave uh, the nation of Israel their land, he gave all of them a piece of land and was designated as theirs. And that was their inheritance. That was their inheritance forever. The Levites did not get an inheritance. Okay, another thing that happened is that um, all of the tribes, all the nation of Israel was, was supposed to consecrate their firstborn to God. Okay. But they didn't actually do that because God took the the tribe of Levi as His consecrated firstborn. Okay, so they served as the firstborn to God. So that was a pretty special place. Along with offering sacrifices, they were also responsible for what were they responsible for? Offering sacrifices, and also the teaching God's word and holding the people accountable to following it. That was kind of their responsibility.
2: What you say is so true that they for a representative of God, God would instruct through them and man would go to the priest to get to God, so it's like a two-way street right. you were responsible
0: for that. Right. Yeah, and if you, re- if you remember uh, back in the early days of uh, Moses uh, on Mount Sinai when God was speaking, God spoke in a, a terrible loud voice and it scared everybody so much so that they did not want to talk to God, so that's where the priests then became the intermediaries on behalf. And you remember, the first priest was Aaron, God's brother, was the first priest. And so Aaron spoke on behalf of God, um, even, uh, to that matter, to Pharaoh. Okay, so he was mouthpiece for for Moses uh, to Pharaoh. So exactly right. They they served as an intermediary between God and, and the nation of Israel. Important thing is, we don't have that now. We go directly to God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Okay, the nation of Israel would offer sacrifices in worship, and Christ became the final and ultimate sacrifice for us. So we don't have priests as an intermediary, but we still exist as priests. We are royal priesthood. Okay, I should have looked that up see where that was, um, but we the the Church of Christ is a royal priesthood. So we serve as priests, and we still have leaders over us, elders and 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 pastors and things like that over us that are responsible to teach us and the Bible says also that teaching carries an extra burden an extra heavy weight of responsibility because you don't want to get it wrong and that's what's happening here with the, with the priests um, they've been offering uh, flawed sacrifices they've not been teaching the word as they should so God is not happy with them <coughs> oh, so how have they failed God? Um, notice there's a pattern here I just have a bunch of questions and you guys are supposed to answer them. And that will serve as our sermon. It will be great. Okay. So how have they failed God? It talks in, in in chapter 2 about a covenant. A covenant of life and peace. What is a covenant? It's one of those kind of Bible words that you hear all the time. What's a covenant? Anybody? It's a promise. A promise? Right. It's a promise. And the important thing about this promise is it has two parts. Right? A covenant has two two parties to it, two responsible people. So the covenant that God had with the nation of Israel was that he would be their God and they would be his people, but they had to serve him only, serve him fully all by themselves um, and not serve other gods. So what happened as the nation of Israel was interspersed with these other tribes and other other people is that they were introduced to other gods, and those other gods, they would start to serve them And that caused problems. And God is a jealous God. So they failed him by breaking the covenant. Okay? One of the things that that talks about there is life and peace. And if you think about life and peace, um, you know, that encompasses everything. Right? What is there outside of life and outside of peace that we would desire? Not much. So it's a pretty complete and comprehensive covenant. So what's the result of this failing of God? Anybody see it in the, in the scripture there? About Verse 9. It says, So I also have made you, a, you despised and abased before all the people, just as you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in the instruction. So the priests who are supposed to be held up as somebody that's honorable, representing God, have become abased, and God has just shunned them. And the priesthood now does not mean what it, what it should mean especially to the people. They've also shown partiality in instruction, meaning that they've not taught everybody the same way. Some people have been given preference over others. Maybe some people's sacrifices were accepted more than others. There was some, there was some partiality there in the, in the church. So, why does this matter to us? By the way, this is one question I don't have an answer to in my notes. Okay? Why does it matter to us that the priests have failed God by not being obedient and now are abased, shunned essentially by God, put aside. Does that matter to us? Should we care about that if we are a priesthood? If we are priests, should we care about that? Sure. We definitely should care about that. We need to be careful that we are not serving in disobedience and, and doing it purposefully. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> So this does matter to us. What, what happens here, like I said, the nation of Israel is a model for us to understand what happens to Israel, will happen to us as individuals, and to us as a church. So we need to pay attention to that and, and be careful of what, what happens. And we need to maybe look for parallels to where we may be falling into the same mistakes that Israel did. Okay, we want to be careful of that. Who would like to read chapter 2, verse 10 through 16? Don't everybody jump up at one time. Just Thanks.
2: Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign God. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altars with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you belong to him in body and spirit and what does the one god seek god the offspring so be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth the man who hates and divorces his wife says the lord the god of israel does violence to the one he should protect says the lord almighty so be on your guard and do not be unfaithful
0: thanks mike okay so judah's unfaithfulness how has Judah broken the faith? What does it say? By taking foreign wives. Right. By taking foreign wives. And uh, if we recall, that was a big problem for Solomon. He took a lot of foreign wives. They introduced foreign gods to him. And he started worshiping other gods. So that was a big problem. It was a problem for Israel back then. Okay. They also had a second problem in that they neglected the wife of their youth. The wives of their youth. So... It's interesting to me that here God is talking about marriage. Okay, and the first covenant ever established was the marriage covenant in Genesis 3. Okay, where God established marriages between Adam and Eve. (coughs) And, And it was interesting, too, that God made just Eve for Adam. He didn't make Eve and Betty and Joanne and Susie. He made just Eve. So it was it was adam and eve one man one woman okay god could have done that right he could have done that if that was his design he could have done that but he did not and he established that covenant with with mankind forevermore so marriage is a thing from god it's not a thing from man it's not a thing from the state it's not a thing from you know our government our government doesn't grant us marriage okay marriage has always been conducted in the church and right now that is a very controversial thing. Okay? And marriage has been corrupted, I'll just say it. Um and and I'm I'm talking on behalf of what is in scripture, not on behalf of what Lance Carpenter is saying. Okay, that's the problem we have a lot of times is people will ascribe our beliefs to us as if we created them. But really there are beliefs because God created them. Okay, so God is the one who says marriage is what it is. Okay, a bond between one man and one woman for life. That's what God designed. Um, You know, we talk about divorce, and that's a very difficult conversation to have because it's such a a common problem. And, you know, my heart goes out for for those, and and my family has been subject to that kind of thing. But my heart goes out to those that have have suffered under divorce. It's not a, a positive thing in God's eyes. So marriage apparently is very important to God here because he is, is telling the priesthood that this is why you're being debased. This is why you're being punished. This is why you have problems right now. This is why I'm not accepting your sacrifices because of these violations of the covenant of marriage. So it's very important to God. So it, should it be important to us? I'll jump to the last question. Should this matter to us? Absolutely it should. So we should understand marriage as God designed it and we should uphold marriage as God designed it and not be ashamed of that, okay? Right now marriage has lots of different meanings in different people's eyes and they will, they will contest it um, at every point that you're not fair or that you're not loving or that you're not right or that you're discriminating or that you are biased or that you're whatever. Okay, but it's not us who designed marriage, it's God. The challenge is that the people who don't believe that marriage is what it is also don't follow God. Okay, there's, a, there's a connection there. Um, if we truly serve God, um, then we need to serve God fully and serve God totally in everything that we say and do. So we need to understand God's position on everything. Otherwise, we may fall into the same trap that the nation of Israel did back in the days of Malachi, right? So we need to be paying attention to what God's designs are for these things and supporting that and standing up for that. Okay, We, we can't support it in silence because the world is against the church today. The world is against God today. That's my opinion, okay? So the second sin that was, was committed by the, the church or by Israel and specifically by the priesthood was that they abandoned the wives of their youth. Okay, It talks in there about them not giving them due uh, honor. Uh, Let's see, what does it say here? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. There's that word covenant again. (coughs) So the covenant marriage, um, God was angry with the people because they had abandoned the wife of their youth. The companion, the friend that they had established that covenant with early on, they would abandoned them. And, um, and we see that happening all the time today, right? Uh, people fall out of love, right? That's not why we get married, because we're in love. We get married because we want to support each other in that covenant. So falling out of love is not a good reason to get divorced or, or separate or ignore the wife of your youth. So for us men in the room who are married, We need to be especially cautious that we do not abandon the wives of our youth and treat them treacherously or set them aside or not treat them with the honor and respect that they are due. So that's for us guys, and I'm in that crowd. Okay, All right, Uh, I really like the way that the uh, New King James Version um, translated verse 11, and I'll read it for you here. It says, Judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. There it's talking especially about the institution of marriage, and it says in the word, in King New King James version, that marriage is an institution created by God, holy, and that he loves. He loves the institution of marriage. And when you think about it, and you look at that history, um, marriage has been very common in every nation of the world, right? Marriage is common everywhere. Um, where you start to see that breaking down is where you start to see society breaking down. So kind of the basic institution that God created to hold us together is the marriage institution. And so it's really critical for God. and He loves that institution. So we need to give that institution, the same kind of respect and, and honor that God gives it himself. Okay? He says in verse 16, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. You know, divorce is one of those things that's very uncomfortable for us to talk about. And um, and again, we've we have all sinned. Uh, Let's make that very clear. But just because a sin becomes prominent does not make it okay or does not make it less sinful. I don't know if I'm making sense, but we just need to make sure that we hold up that institution of marriage to the level that it needs to be held up. And if we have um, uh, loved ones who have have gone through divorce and everything, that's not bad on them. It's unfortunate, but God hates that. I mean, that's what the Bible says. I'm trying not to sound too harsh, so I apologize if I am, but but it's the Bible. That's what God says. So I think we know what, what this reveals about God's attitude towards marriage. And again, why does it matter to us? Because we should have a like mind to God. Okay, if our mind is not aligned with God, guess who's out of alignment? It's not God. It's us. Okay? So... The Day of Judgment, 2.17. I'll go and read that. It says, You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, How have we wearied him? In that you say, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, where is the God of justice? So, what's happening here is that uh, the people have become kind of jaded, a little ritualistic. Uh, they're not understanding their role with God, their position with God at this time. So they're saying... Why is it, God, that the people who do evil are the ones who succeed out there? Okay, and have you ever thought that yourself where you see all these people who are evil, who have, you know, ungodly designs, ungodly intentions, yet they seem to succeed by the world's standards? It happens, right? There are lots of people out there like that. Well, the the nation of Israel is thinking that God, you know, they're saying, where is the God of justice? You know, this is what we see happening. This is how we, how we feel. Um, so their attitude is that, um, you know, God, you don't get it right. You're, you're rewarding the wrong people, you're rewarding evil people, and you're not being just to us, okay? And that's their attitude. But God grows weary of this lack of faith. It grows weary of this lack of reverence, this lack of respect. Because when you think about it, when you challenge God in that way, you're, you're in his face. You're saying, God, you don't have a right. you got this wrong. You're wrong. You're unjust. Um, you're unfair. You're not right. And we have people today who are saying that, right, to God. There are probably people in, in the church that are saying that. I think I've said that. Okay, there have been times when I have felt that God was doing me an injustice. Okay, who knows better, me or God. God. That's obvious, but it's not so easy to understand when you're in the middle of your trial, when you're in the middle of your, your tri- tribulation, when you're in the middle of your problems, when you're in the middle of things that aren't going well, when life is not treating you right and you're downtrodden and beaten down, it's not easy to say, okay, God knows better than I do. Okay, that's a human trait. Okay, the problem is a human trait means it's a sinful trait because uh, the nature of man is sin. The nature of man is not good. Man is not inherently good. Man is inherently sinful. All of us. So that's the problem when we find ourselves in those situations and find ourselves in the same place that the nation of Israel does, saying that God is unjust and God doesn't know what's, what's really right. We need to remember this. So they perceive justice as being the evil ones being, you know, the ones in bad times or in trouble or tribulation or trials, not us good people. <coughs> oh, excuse me. So how does God view justice? You know, His view of faithfulness is not the same as our view of faithfulness. Okay? We sometimes think faithfulness means everything goes good for us all the time. That's not God's view of it. And, and again, if we're out of alignment with God, who's, who's wrong? It's usually us. Okay, he is the ultimate judge, not us. And he has described true faithfulness clearly in his word. In his word, he tells us what faithfulness really is. And so we need to be in the word and understanding what faithfulness is, what it looks like, how it behaves, and how God rewards it. Okay? So, does this matter to us? This way of thinking? Certainly it does. You know, we, Again, we'll find ourselves in times of problems, times of trial, things aren't going well, things are, are bad for us, and we will find ourselves in this situation where we have to stop and think God has a purpose, God has a design, and his will is better than mine. Um, God's ways and and thoughts are higher than mine. Easy to say, not so easy to do. Okay? So, that's chapter 2. Again, the nation of Israel is is in dire straits because they've been disobedient. Uh, They're in trouble because they have a confused mind about things. Does the church today find itself in that situation? I think in some cases it does. In some cases we have acquiesced our own um, position in God's Word to satisfy society, to satisfy the culture, to satisfy people around us. There are a lot of reasons why that may or may not be. I praise God every day that I attend a church that is a Bible-believing church and that teaches the Bible and does not hold back um, because it's uncomfortable. That does not hold back because it's not popular. Um, I thank God for that, so praise God for Family Bible Church and the teaching that happens here because that's not the way it is in every church. Um, many churches are starting to um, cave into societal norms and cultural norms because they want to be popular. And a, a lot of times it's frankly because churches um, make income. Okay, They have people that come to the church, and the more people that come to the church, the more people that are giving their tithes the more money the church gets the bigger buildings they get to have the bigger the fancier you know setups they get to have that's the wrong thing to pursue as a church but it happens it's out there we need to be praying for those churches and praying for those brothers and sisters that may be falling into some deception and we need to continue to pray for our church that we do not fall into that deception because we need to be aware of false teaching and and we Bill says it all the time. He says, don't take my word for it. Get into scripture and read it yourself. See what God says to you through scripture and go with that. Don't go with what we say uh, because we can be wrong, but God is not. So praise God for family Bible Church and the teaching that happens here. Um, I thank each and every one of you for your participation in it because it's a church. It's not just a pastor up in front talking. Um, And I know Bill would say the same thing. But we, all together, collectively, are the church. And Christ is our head. And that's how we have to keep things in, in order. Okay? So, let's close with a word of prayer one more time. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for getting me through that. Phew, man. But uh, we praise you, Lord, for, for your word. We praise you for your infinite wisdom. We praise you for the fact that you are our God and we are your people. I pray, Father, that we continue to be obedient to you we learn what it means to be faithful and that we stand up strong for your word and the lord we don't be offended by other people because they criticize us for believing in you father we do believe in you we love you we honor you we praise you we thank you for all the good things and the bad things that you send our way because we know that they're all designed for our betterment in jesus name amen